Let me see if I can do it louder. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> that's really gross. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Res. My name is Riley, and I'm joined here with my friend Daniel. Hi. And today, we are bringing to you an episode about Man on Wire. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Man on Wire, Daniel? I can attempt. So, Man on Wire is a documentary slash docudrama from 2008 about a high-wire performer named Philippe Petit who defied uh, everybody's expectations for what you should do to stay alive by walking a tightrope between the two World Trade Center towers in the 70s. Um, it's more than just a, a, an hour-long walk between two buildings. It's a story about a man who had a dream and who acted upon that years later, planned for it. And really, there's not much more to say about it other than that. It's a... Uh, it's a, a it's an award-winning movie um, that puts all of those per, uh, all of the buildup in perspective and shows us how everything went down that day. Can you clarify a little bit what you mean about the terms docudrama and documentary? Yeah, sure. So, in a documentary. A lot of times you can expect to see like interview clips of people who were involved in something and then uh, maybe like footage from the day. Think a lot of History Channel 15 years ago. Something that's a little bit more of a docudrama to me is something that tr that tries to reenact things or even like portray it kind of like a uh, kind of more like a movie about something but with the expectation that it is more quote realistic you know mm -hmm. right and so the way this um, applies to man on wire is that some of the scenes are from actual footage from the 70s which would be the documentary mm -hmm. portion and some of the scenes mm -hmm. are recreations using actors in 2008, yes. which would be the drama portion. Yes. Gotcha. Um, and I actually did want to ask you about that. Uh, I feel like it's a good place to start. I had already seen this movie prior to us watching it again for the show. Okay. And I had not remembered a lot of those reenactment scenes, mm -hmm. like a lot of the details with it. Mm-hmm. And watching it again, I actually found myself, like, second-guessing what was archival footage and what was reenactment scene. Mm. Were you finding that hard to distinguish as well? Or, or did, you, did you see a lot of that old footage and, and know that it was old footage and not, like, a reenactment? Mm. Um, huh. I hadn't even considered that point mm -hmm. because I felt that the old footage 
in quotation marks, the old footage, um, mm-hmm. all stood out as being exactly what you'd expect from film from the 70s, like a little bit more grainy, a little bit more mm-hmm. variable frame rate, like not as good color depth, that kind of stuff. Um, but I definitely could see how they would have gone back on some things and reshot them in such a way that and like edited them so that they looked like they could have been mm-hmm. from the 70s maybe i don't know Ar- i thought like while i was watching though i thought i had a clear grasp on what was archival and what was recreation mm. mostly just from like okay. looking at the actors as well as yeah. the footage quality i i was kind of astonished at some of the stuff that they had because as i kind of alluded to in the intro there was a lot of buildup to Philippe's Crossing mm-hmm. in on the order of years. Uh, and there was footage of him and his friends who were going to help him do it in France, like in fields, walking tightropes. And that was like, it looked like they were planning for a documentary to exist 40 years later kind of <laughs> right. footage. And that was where I was like, was this real or did they do some of like the editing that you were talking about to to like reshoot some stuff? Like mm-hmm. it was crazy how how good that stuff was, even though it was grainy and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it is a little bizarre. Um, I wonder in those in those moments where you're watching a documentary about something that's historical, especially like pre cell phone era and there's mm-hmm. there's footage of that thing or something related to that thing in this case all of like the prep work that they did um mm-hmm. it makes me wonder if the person filming it, it like you're saying had a long view of what was going on and and thought like this is something that's historic so i'm going to film mm-hmm. it in progress um which may be the case for this, right? Because the stated goal is pretty ambitious. I'm going to tightrope walk between <laughs> the two World Trade Center towers. Mm-hmm. So that's something I could see. You hear that and you go, okay, if he can do this, this is history. So I'm going to film some of it. Versus how many of those people were just like screwing around with film cameras for the first time in the 70s. And <laughs> some of it managed to be filming important things that later we wanted to make videos and movies about (laughs) yeah i have no idea if only any of the participants were still alive for us to ask them yeah very sad (laughs) um no that that was that was the second component to the storytelling uh was that actually all of the pe all of the people involved were still alive um and so both of those things coming together to me made it a really good way for me to hear this story because it was from Philippe and friends from their mouths and then all of this great side footage to to really show their story and not just like have people talking the entire time. I thought that was a really nice uh, highlight of the movie. Yeah, was that it was quite visual. Mm-hmm. Philippe and friends, and some not friends. 
I don't know. I was kind of confused. It seemed like some of the people involved didn't really like some of the other people involved. That was another thing that I definitely did not remember from my first viewing of it. Okay. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about uh, about that part of the story real quick. So from what I could understand, um, and... And some of my understanding may be a little bit muddled by the fact that Amazon Video didn't provide subtitles for this. Wait. For some really? reason. Yeah. Uh, it might have been a bug on my TV, but I could not get closed captioning to turn on for this movie. So. You should have used Voodoo. Okay. Some of it I just missed. <laughs> and yeah. And some of it was in French. Oh, wait. Not even the French subtitles? So there were French subtitles, but sometimes okay. they were a bit fast. So, and I didn't uh. rewatch. But the gist of what I understood was that Philippe Petit had two friends that were helping him prepare mm -hmm. this over in France. And he had a girlfriend who was also like there for, I guess, emotional support. Yeah. And he had recruited on his visits to the U.S. three, two or three other guys from the United States. And there was also some Australian dude in the mix somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The details are a little bit fuzzy on that guy. I think he didn't even make it to the final event. But basically, he recruited these two Americans who were going to help, right? Because there's two towers in the setup. So Philippe mm -hmm. and friends are going to go up one tower and he's going to need some people to go up the other tower so that way they can get cables and stuff strung up across them. By the way, they were doing this illegally. Yeah. That's an important facet to mention uh, yeah. about Man on Wire. This is not like a sanctioned thing by the World Trade Center Commission people whoever owned the building, saying, oh, yeah, please come tightrope walk across it. This was totally illegal yeah. and done covertly. So in order to do this covertly, you need two people or two teams of people going up both sides of the towers to string everything across. Mm -hmm. And so these two American guys were going to be the other two dudes helping out. And when Philippe introduced the American guys to his French friends. His French friends were like, these people are morons. And exact, we don't want them to help us. The exact quote was, uh, they looked like losers. I wrote it down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that was really funny. Because uh, yeah. they didn't like them because they reeked of weed and alcohol and didn't seem to carry themselves in a way that they expected for them to. And so they were like, exactly, yeah, absolute losers. Which, yeah, maybe that's fair. I don't know. That's but how they just they, they didn't for free. like each other. Yeah, and call them a loser. <laughs> um, yeah, which I thought was just kind of bizarre. Yeah, like who would who would attempt something so dangerous with people that you didn't completely trust, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe he did completely trust them, but they just didn't all like each other. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, I don't think Philippe really had anything to say about it in the 
in the movie. Mm-hmm. This was mostly a like a thing that his friend brought up that the American guys were losers. Yeah. Uh, Jean Francois. So, yeah. Yeah. And so that that created a lot of tension within the team, both for planning it and for executing the thing. Mm-hmm. Because there were a couple times um, where Jean Francois, who is kind of the 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 biggest personality other than Philippe. Um, he was like, we're not ready. There's so much left to do because from his perspective, it was all about like, let's not have Philippe die. Right. <laughs> let's have him make it out alive. Um, and that caused conflict because Philippe just wanted to achieve his dream. And then when they're actually doing the deed, the Americans are like, this is nuts. All these things are going wrong. We need to abort. And then the French, the Frenchmen, well, didn't speak English, but then they were also like, <laughs> no, we're doing this thing because we're here and it's ready. Uh, and so yeah. it's amazing that we didn't have like one flat Philippe on the ground that day, basically. Yeah. Yeah, this would have been a very different movie. <laughs> oh, God. One that may not have been made. <laughs> that just would have been a tragedy. And it's it, it's really interesting how much emotion went into everybody's interactions because after everything goes down and, and they, they do the walk and everybody's like, woo, did the walk. It's great. That was just kind of like it. Yeah. Even if they didn't trust each other and they built up like some like some amount of working relationship throughout it, after the stunt, it's it was kind of over. Like everybody just kind of went their right. separate ways and didn't really see each other for decades. Yeah, which is weird. It doesn't really scream like a very stable environment to try and achieve something like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't mean what to make mean? a pun there. Um, <laughs> I mean like emotionally stable clearly it was stable uh, enough for him to cross um physically if, speaking yeah physically <laughs> yeah, yeah it's i don't i i don't know how you would keep that group of people together after something like this like this is it's something that's so remarkable that i feel like almost has to be done by this the swelling up of a group of people to accomplish a singular transformative mm-hmm. task. And then those people need to disperse afterwards. Cause if they don't, it's, you're just like trying to relish in that afterglow, which is already faded. Mm. Um, otherwise you'd have to like try to top it. Right. Yeah. Thankfully they didn't try to do. <laughs> yeah. Not, not in the video anyway, or in the movie anyway. Philippe Petit went on and had like 20 more years or 30 more years of successful uh, tightrope walking events and that that sort of thing. I think after that point, he became a little bit more mainstream. And so people started hiring him to do crazy things. Um, But he still did quite a bit more after that. Right. Right. 
but yeah, the level of emotion was pretty fascinating. Like, mm -hmm. not just from the point of view of the people in the story, but from their recounting of it, from mm -hmm. the way the film tried to tell it. Emotion was a very big part of the documentary, mm -hmm. uh, both the discussion of it and the conveyance of it mm -hmm. to the, the viewer. Um, why do you think emotion played such a big part in it? Is it because they were French? <laughs> uh, I, I wrote down here that they were extremely French. Um, like... They were very French. I don't know if you can be just a little French, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you can be just a little bit French. That's called the Quebecois. Uh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Sorry, French Canadians, for that last joke. <laughs> I I know that you guys uh, like to be your own thing. Um, I think the Quebecois think the French are just a little French. <laughs> <laughs> They're the true French. Fair enough. Um, to answer your question, I, I I'm going to be realistic here and say that the movie, although it did have a really cool story to tell, was a little bit light on actual plot if this were like a like a fiction mm -hmm. so i feel like you do have to lean on like how did these people feel how did they interact together what were their like struggles internally rather than like what they had to like all the process they had to go through there wasn't mm -hmm. this wasn't like the last jedi where they had to like go to Canto Bite for some reason just to feel like airtime. This was like he he wanted to climb up the towers. He did Notre Dame, then he did Sydney Harbor Bridge, then he did the towers. And there was like training in the middle and like a lot of angst and that was what really beefs out the story, right? Mhm. Mm so that I think could be one explanation for for why they leaned in on it, aside from the fact that it was, it was very interesting. So yeah, I feel like that's one of the things. At least, if I'm gonna make a film about this event, mm -hmm. one of the questions you probably have as a viewer is, what does that feel like? Mm -hmm. You know, what motivates a person to want to do something like this, which is seemingly insane even if it's a sanctioned thing to go and do mm -hmm. but the fact that it's illegal makes it even crazier mm -hmm. like why why risk all of this for basically nothing uh in terms of like a, a you know a materialistic mindset like you're not going to get anything out of doing this so why do yeah. it um and some other like the other question is is also maybe a feelings-based question which is how do you get other people to help you do something like this yeah so i could see there being an hour and a half long movie about this that was much more focused on the details of how he did it mm -hmm. and like the technical process of planning because they did just kind of glide over most of those details mm -hmm. um so maybe it was a good 
just decision on the director's part to focus more on emotion and how that played in the story. The other component to not forget here is the documentary was made 34 years after the event. Yep. So a lot of probably what remains in people's memories are how they felt about things Mm -hmm. versus the actual day-to-day preparation and when they figured out you know, the sequence of events to do and that, that sort of thing. So you're saying that um, things could have been lost just to the sands of time, like as far as the concrete yeah. details go? Yeah. Yeah. And nobody's memory is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you fall off the World Trade Center and crack your head open. Which he didn't do. Yeah, that's true. He didn't do that. He did not do that. But, you know, I have a hard time remembering, like, what happened this year. Yeah. I did that as an exercise today. I tried to pick out one thing that happened in every month this year. Really? And I couldn't get past April without using a calendar. Oh, wow. Hmm. I I say, wow, not that, like, you should be able to think of this, Riley Turpin. But, like, I I mean, like, a uh, wow, I hadn't even considered that that could be my position as well. Like, uh, I, I wouldn't be able to recall those things. I'm thinking now, oh, man, there was a lot of driving. <laughs> so that, that makes it all flood together. Exactly. So trying to think, like, the specifics of an event 34 years ago that took four or five years to put together, I I probably wouldn't be able to remember that. Yeah. Even if it was tightrope walking across the World Trade Center towers. (laughs) (laughs) You probably would have forgotten the names of at least one of your weird American friends that you had that day who you didn't trust. I don't even remember them, and I watched the movie like (laughs) a few days ago. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Although they all did have those very cinematic introduction sequences. They did. (laughs) (laughs) How'd you feel about those? You like that? Oh, the filmmakers were just ready to introduce everyone involved in this plot. <laughs> they did the, the coup. Oh, yeah. Le coup. They we called to, it the coup. We had to postpone the coup. Until Which, another I don't know time. who or what they were overthrowing, but they were they were overthrowing it. They were overthrowing... The 70s, so... They were overthrowing that arrow. That's right. Um, sticking it to the man i want to i want to take a quick diversion to something that's really central to me experiencing this movie that i wanted to get your take on so okay for 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 my sake and and the audience a little bit are you afraid of heights uh it depends it depends is this like yeah. Rachel's it, it Depends, where she's afraid of falling but not afraid of heights? Or what do you mean? No, I think those are synonymous. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me to be afraid of heights, or to not be afraid of heights, but to be afraid of falling. I think what most people are afraid of when they're high up is that they're going to fall. <laughs> I'll let you take that up with her, but what do you mean by uh, It Depends? Uh, I'm not afraid if... I am like 
say at the Willis Tower where you're encased in glass and steel. And so when you look mm-hmm. out the window, even though you're 1100 feet up or whatever, you're still physically fine. Like you're, you're not going to just magically fall between a six inch glass sheet to your death. Mm-hmm. But if I'm standing on the edge of a cliff, then I'm very afraid mm. because there's gotcha. nothing preventing me from just falling to my death. So I'm afraid of heights insofar as I have perceived danger around them. Mm. Like I probably wouldn't be afraid of heights if I was like rock climbing and was like repelling and tied to the wall. Mm-hmm. Cause then I know I'm still safe, but if I'm doing something dangerous near a tall ledge with no harness or no restraint then yeah like free soloing yeah i wouldn't do that gotcha so i'm imagining then based on that criteria that this movie if like if you were in place of philippe would have been kind of terrifying right oh dreadful yeah absolutely dreadful that was that was my feeling as well the first time and and the second time that I was watching this like nightmare fuel level anxiety mm. around like the idea of walking this tightrope yeah and like standing on the roof watching a dude walk this tightrope yeah i i think that that is critical to my experience of this movie mm. is that it was this constant, uh, not not undertone. I'm not hundred percent sure what the right word would be there, but like this, this underlying feeling of like, sure, I know they're like running around in a field, like practicing their their thing right now, but I know how this ends, and that's really freaking scary. And we keep cutting yeah. back to the preparations of like walking up the towers every couple minutes, and it's driving me crazy, but it's fascinating. Yeah. Is is that a, how you would describe this as well or did you have a different experience? My hand like my palms and my feet are sweating right now. <laughs> thinking, thinking about, about this? it. Uh, yeah. The archival footage I, and I don't know like a better way to put this other than um the archival footage looks like a civil war reenactment mm-hmm. but you know that the people that are reenacting are gonna have to go fight in the civil war later on <laughs> interesting okay. like that's how i felt about it was like oh it's all fun and games now but in a couple years you'll be on the battlefield getting shot and dying and like that's Ugh. when it's all gonna hit the fan Oh, like man, you have to that's... pretend like you're you're not just doing something that could be potentially so fatal. Um and I think about this too sometimes when I'm bouldering. Putting mm-hmm. exactly that free solo mindset in place of I'm inside, I'm in a gym, I'm very comfortable, there's a nice big plush pad where if I fall, I'll be okay. But it's fun to like fun. Uh to watch other people or yourself whenever you fall off the wall and go, oh, dead. 
<laughs> like, you mean to imagine that that was a fatal mistake? Yeah. Which, uh, for this guy, yeah. practicing on his tightrope in his backyard, every time he falls off is a fatal mistake. And he's very good at it. So he probably rarely fell off, but... That that gives him a that gives Philippe a lot of like mental footage to play over and over in his head as he's approaching the rope. Yeah. To like go out on the first time and go like do not fall off. Do not mess up because you've practiced this before. And you know it's 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 just going to be over so quickly if you mess yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. I think it comes down to your personality in that moment. Like, mm-hmm. what are you going to replay before you step on that rope? Are you going to replay all of the times that you successfully trained? Or are you going to replay the five or six mistakes that you really visit, vividly remember? Mm-hmm. So, Which, it seems like it's, at that point, just a mental game. For mm-hmm. as crazy of a physical challenge as this was... Mm-hmm. I think ultimately it's a mental challenge. It's all in your head, man. Just walk out on the rope. Nothing nothing to worry about. Nothing. You'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be totally fine. <laughs> yeah, I... <sighs> you mentioning that your hands are getting sweaty or making my hands getting sweaty, so this is going to be a very interesting podcast to clean up after. <laughs> but it's... It's an important thing to know going into seeing this movie in that it's a cool story. They tell it very emotionally. And for those who can identify with the fear associated with with going out there on the rope, it's it's the ultimate experience. And it's kind of contradictory that like something so scary, so negative is so fascinating and so entertaining. And that to me seemed like the the core of the experience is that cool story, but it's me watching somebody live out my worst nightmare and it's mm-hmm. fascinating. Mhm. Yeah, it's you can be a voyeur for something that is conceptually very morbid. But you know he's not going to fall. If you know anything yeah. about the historical event, you know he's not going to fall. So it's this like mental trick. It's almost like watching a horror movie mm-hmm. for if you're afraid of heights, where you know that it's going to be scary. Mm-hmm. But you also know that it's all going to be fine. Like it's not going to materially change the outcome of what you do after the movie's over. Mm -hmm. So it is an interesting feeling. Mm -hmm. When was the first time you watched this? Uh, uh, When it was on Netflix, some number of years ago, can't remember exactly how many, but okay. Is this like high school? I think it was college. I think. Okay. Do you remember what and, made it made you watch it back then? Uh, hmm. 
Maybe something was due. <laughs> and you're procrastinating? <laughs> that was half of Netflix back then, man. Like, they just had really good programming, and I had disposable income as a college student with a scholarship, and that was a recipe for procrastination disaster, man. Like, it was not good. Um, I think, for to answer your question, for real, though... It, it's 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 a kind of a, a an interesting title, man on wire. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. like it's 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 unique sounding. It's not um, walking a tightrope between the World Trade Center. It's it's a lot more um, not discreet. Uh, like. It's, it's poetic. more inventive. Yeah, it's more poetic. Um, and then the the splash, not the splash screen art. Um, that's stupid. That's a video game thing. The poster that they show on on Netflix shows this this horrifying, horrifying act. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's liter. I think that's what got me. I was like, mm. it's an interesting title, but what is he doing, and why is he being? crazy and why is he scaring me so much with this i need to find mm-hmm. out that's mm. probably what put me over i had no idea that this story existed prior to seeing this this show which is crazy okay. considering how much the world trade center is part of american history american culture all that stuff yeah that like we didn't hear about more of these things yeah in its history um, I'm glad I saw it though. Before, why do you want to go back and watch it again? I wanted to gauge your, um, your feelings about being terrified but fascinated by something. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see if, if other people felt the same way that I felt about it. Like, this is really weird. Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre type horror movies don't make me feel this way. I kind of feel grossed out by it. Uh But this, I felt like I couldn't not watch it. Yeah. Mm. And that's different. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a whole genre of movies that I didn't even know about last year. Yeah. Um, And it is... It's this genre of like extreme sports documentaries. And I would put this in that category because it's like an extreme performance documentary. Um, but these are, there's a few of them on Netflix. One of them is called Meru. Um, mm. And it's about these guys climbing this mountain called Meru. And it's just mm. this incredible story. Um there's another one called Valley Uprising, which is a little bit less extreme, um, but still has quite a few elements of, of these similar types of things. There's there's one that just came out recently called The Dawn Wall. And all of these are, are movies about just like tremendous physical feats that involve death around just about every corner. Hmm. But they're so fascinating. There's something like so... Um, 
not spiritual, but like so human mm-hmm. going on at the center of these things, of these people who just say, I want to do something. And it's this thing that seems impossible or, or so dangerous that nobody should ever attempt it. And they spend years and years of their life training and training and training and trying and failing and trying and failing and then finally succeeding at this monumental task that it's it's terrifying because mm-hmm. it's so dangerous, but it's also so just like profound to watch somebody go through something like this. Profound is, is an interesting word to put with it because I would totally agree with that. And it's also weird how like generally useless their accomplishments are in like a practical yeah. sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, nobody gained anything by this dude climbing this mountain and like potentially dying on the way up. Like right. other than like like materially. There wasn't like unobtainium yeah. at the top. Or like right. it's there's no it's, cure for hunger at the top of yeah. the mountain. It's, it is it is very strange how these these stories do capture us like they 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 have, they do. Mm-hmm. But it's in a way kind of symbolic, I think, to those things that are maybe a little less glamorous. Mm-hmm. Where you can you can watch one of these movies, and I think take two two paths with it. One of escapism and voyeurism where you're kind of emulating their success in your own mind and and feeling the reward whenever they finish their crazy grueling task without having to go through any of the training and any of the pain Mm -hmm. or there's the uh like the metaphorical viewing of these films where you're you're watching them struggle and struggle against this task that they just feel like they have to do and I think everybody has those tasks in their life and they might not be something as visibly demanding as scaling a sheer 3,000 foot cliff of granite but Mm. it's something that is important to you and is difficult and you feel like you're failing all the time at but you got to keep trying and seeing somebody else go through that and maybe have similar struggles on a totally different problem and then seeing them succeed and the way that they they cope with both the setbacks and with the success mm-hmm. um it's kind of inspiring hmm. i i like i like that interpretation of the behavior um or of the response i guess more even though i know that there are definitely people who would watch this who watched it because they didn't want to do their cal 3 homework <laughs> and they just like get their get their hit uh-huh. um but I, I i i like the more inspiring interpretation for sure and there's probably it's possible i think to interpret the thing both ways as you're watching it mm-hmm. I don't think there's anybody going in that doesn't feel quite a sense of accomplishment whenever the thing finally happens in the movie <laughs> I at least felt one concrete 
<clears throat> since like thing that I accomplished. And that is that I didn't die of a heart attack watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I survived. Good job. You did it. High <laughs> five to myself. Um, would you like to pivot over to uh, a break and then a little bit more in-depth analysis after the break? Sure. Yeah, I'm going to go refresh my tea that I've got here. He's tea. But we'll be okay. back right after that. Whoa. This episode is brought to you by ASMR Towel. ASMR Towel, a better way to deal with your fright. Made with anxiety, our patented anxiety-reducing material the ASMR towel is the softest, most peaceful way to calm the f*** down. No matter the stressful situation, the ASMR towel is the perfect companion. You can try the ASMR towel risk-free by calling 555-ASMR. That's 555-1767. Thank you, ASMR towel, for sponsoring the show. Gift-giving season is right around the corner. Do you always have problems picking out gifts for your significant other, your parents, or your friends? Do you know what they all love more than anything? Memories. Memories of you, memories of them, memories of a favorite cat, pet, dog. Do you hate the environment? Well, then today's non-sponsor is for you. Fracker is an online service where you can upload a photo that commemorates any event between you and a loved one, and they will go and frack it into the earth, thousands of feet below the ground, as they drill for oil in places like Oklahoma or Wyoming. Fracker is completely 100% anti-eco-friendly, and they promise that with each fracking purchase, another wildlife species will be destroyed. So thanks to Fracker for sponsoring the show and for making gift-giving season just a little bit easier this year. For 10% off your next frack, go online to fracker.com and use the offer code FRACKINGRES. Another part of the movie that we haven't had a chance to really talk about yet is the soundtrack. And... Oh. Yeah. I wanted to know first what your broad thoughts were about the use of music in Man on Wire. And then mm -hmm. if you recognized any of the pieces from anywhere else or if it seemed familiar to you. Hmm. So this is one area where I have basically nothing to say. Mm -hmm. I didn't take any notes about whatever music they used. And actually, like, thinking back, I don't actually remember any points where music was very prominent to me. Mm. So this was just something that was not registering for me on a conscious level while I watched. Mm. Uh what are, you, what are you thinking about when you think of the, the music in this film? So, 
I think that a lot of the details of the story and even of some of the people involved were fuzzier than one particular piece um, after the first time that I saw the movie. And that was mm-hmm. kind of the the center piece that is referred to in the soundtrack as Fish Beach, which is... Fish Beach? Fish Beach. Gotcha. Okay. It was... It was the piece that they kept playing kind of any time that they prominently featured either the crossing on the tightrope or Mm -hmm. the skyline of New York or anything that had to do with New York. They they played it. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like a um, soft um, brass brassy type section that eventually came in with like these this really beautiful um, complement of strings behind it that was really simple but still like full still felt like how I feel whenever I think about New York City or or um, I guess this movie it has a lot of the same ideas as a really really famous piece called fanfare for the common man which is uh oh god who who did that um coppola and i don't know what it is exactly about there's really pared down brassy tunes that makes me think of new york and makes me think of like accomplishing really great things but for me that really stuck out in this movie is that piece (laughs) it's kind of silly name but fish beach and some of the mm-hmm. other like complimenting pieces from the soundtrack that went along with that. And it's interesting how it like helped keep pushing the story forward to me, like sonically, and not just like relying on the visuals or the uh, interviews or anything like that. It felt like, a part of the story as well. It sounds familiar to me, but it did not carry near the same emotional connotation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that I was really watching this for, which I think is interesting because I do think we're maybe different viewers in that way, at mm-hmm. least. Um, I was much more focused on the the structure of the movie and the visual theme and the storytelling theme, mm-hmm. and the music wasn't really something that like came up on my radar ever mm-hmm. um, gotcha so maybe that's something I should start paying more attention to yeah this is you getting a C on this assignment you didn't write any notes on the music bad not bad a single standard. one you have to change your ways let's 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 take a, a little bit of a critical look at the movie since I feel like we've either been talking about like generally how it made us feel like just raw emotionally or like some of the, some of the storytelling pieces that kind of stood out to us. But did you have any major sore spots that you noticed while you were watching the movie or things that you felt didn't necessarily work? Um, 
I didn't have really any problems with the movie itself mm-hmm. and the way that it told its story. I thought the structure of it was really well done. Um, there were kind of these three different threads. Mm-hmm. There was the actual day of the tightrope walking across the World Trade Centers where they're sneaking up, they're getting all the gear put in place. He actually does it. He gets arrested and then goes to trial and gets let off with a very, very light sentence of performing in the park for kids. Yeah. Um, and no jail time. <laughs> nice for him. From, from that, so that that's one thread. Then they're also talking about the preparation of mm-hmm. the event. So like you're saying with all the archival footage of them practicing on the tightropes in France and him going around the World Trade Center and taking notes about guard patterns and elevators, these types of things, <laughs> to figuring out how to string up the tightrope and where they're going to need to brace it, um, mm-hmm. figuring out who's going to be part of the plan. And the third thread of his past, where they're talking about the Sydney Harbor Bridge or uh, Notre Dame and him growing up as a child him meeting his girlfriend, Mm -hmm. these types of things um, are all kind of interwoven in a way that was pretty well done. Mm -hmm. Um, That kind of represented a pretty complete, I think, picture of Philippe Petit and what drove him to attempt this uh, and kind of put you in his mind space Mm-hmm. for the actual event and I think it was just a really solid telling of it mm-hmm. I thought the interviews were good uh, and the fact that they had pretty much everybody who was involved in was... any significant capacity interviewed was really good yeah it was really um, nice I liked the the amount of archival footage they used I thought that the uh document or the the dramatized recreations of the stuff they didn't have footage for was unoffensive like it it didn't ruin the movie for me so i don't really have anything bad to say about the actual film Hmm. itself the i felt as though um after kind of noticing and realizing how much archival footage that they actually had that the things that were really recreations it did feel like, oh, that's not his face. Um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just off. Um, but I'm and like the dude with the with the really really fake um, sideburns that were that uh-huh. were like glued onto the side of his head. I was like, it, I mean, I guess it's supposed to be dark. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice these sideburns. Oh yeah, yeah they uh, yeah, um, because it was like the the seventies man. They had to have the right sideburns. I agree. They de- they weren't necessarily offensive, um, but they also didn't necessarily stand out. They didn't stand out as much as that spectacular amount of like real footage that they had that I thought was recreations for a while, but mm. just happened to be like stuff they had. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
there are some things that did surprise me. Mm-hmm. Not from the the making of the film, but just from some of the things they were saying about the preparation for the event. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which was the level of surveillance that he was able to do on the World Trade Center towers. Yeah. Like, he was there for, according to him, days at a time, taking note of guard patterns, of which elevators were freight elevators, and which paths you needed to get into what part of the building. At one point, he got a fake ID yeah. to just rub around. Um, he used uh, an accident that he had that put him in crutches to gain like special access to parts of the building because people were just being nice in the 70s and yeah. letting the guy on crutches go wherever he wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Which really stuck out to me as like, something that if... If today somebody found you with a 120-page notebook full of sketches and diagrams of World Trade Center 1 and yeah. like guard patterns and elevator shaft, you'd be put in jail. Or they would just silently kill you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they would do with you. But it's something that's like, this would not be possible anymore. Yeah. There were even a couple instances where they got on the roof to mm-hmm. like take pictures, which is mm-hmm. crazy. I think the first time was it that um, they pretended to be French journalists and they were like covering yeah. the fact that it, the towers were opening. And then the second time, right. I think they just sneaked up and they were like just trying to find like places to put their cables and all that kind of stuff. Was that, do you think, because of the time or was it because of the people involved, Philippe especially? Was it just like a whole other level of like ambition and not really caring about the consequences of getting caught? Um, I think it was mostly about the time. Mm-hmm. Not to say that their level of ambition didn't play a a part, because it definitely did. Like, you've got to have some commitment to do what he attempted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a lot of it just has to do with the time period. And in some ways, I think it had to do with who he was kind of indirectly, like the fact that he was a white guy Mm -hmm. um, and that he was French. Like, I don't think that hurt his ability to be in places that people wouldn't necessarily expect a random guy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, and, you know, this is the seventies, right? So there's no internet. So you could just tell someone like, yeah, I'm from a French newspaper (laughs) and you speak French and you've got a camera and a fake press badge. So sure. They're from a French newspaper. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that there was no internet. Um, it's kind of weird how the they weren't in some CIA like blacklist book by that point because they were arrested for going up Notre Dame, and they were arrested uh-huh. for going up the Sydney Harbor Bridge. France yeah. and Australia talked to the U.S. in the seventies, I think. Right, and even if they didn't, this was on the news. Yeah, 
like so. somebody somebody <laughs> at customs coming into the U.S. the like five times they flew to the U.S. should have been like right. Uh, what are you here to do? I'm a French journalist. Or are you a crazy French acrobat who keeps climbing buildings? <laughs> Denied. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> are you coming to the city in the U.S. with the tallest buildings? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And this leads to another question that I had for Philippe Petit, if you're listening. <laughs> what What was this guy's job? Yeah, I was wondering about that too. He's 20 years old when he starts planning this. And he uh, he does the event when he's 24. Mm-hmm. And in those four years, he's flying back and forth from France to the United States constantly. Mm-hmm. Like staying in the U.S. for weeks at a time in New York City. Like, what does this guy do for a living? How does he afford all of this? I don't know. They tried to portray him as like... He is a street performer. He makes all of his money by yeah. by juggling and riding on a <laughs> unicycle. And like, can you make good enough money in France doing that to fly to the U.S.? And I don't know. I don't know. Was he like sleeping on the streets in the U.S.? Like it. There's so many unanswered questions about the logistics of his yeah. life. In order to accomplish something so insane. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, you know, all of the time he needs to train to do this. All of the preparation for his friends. Yeah. That they're all being part of this. Like, are they all quitting their jobs and just coming and hanging out in his bungalow and helping him jiggle a tightrope so he can simulate wind? I don't know. Yeah. I don't understand any of how this is possible. <laughs> Man, we hardly even have enough free time to do a podcast, much less like seriously walk a tightrope. Yeah, like imagine having to fly to France like ten times in the next four years, and then when you're not there, like being at home and practicing for ten hours a day, whatever crazy thing you're going to do to France. Yeah, this is a a place. Where, like you mentioned earlier, they 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 skimped on the details a little bit to, a to do a different kind of storytelling. Yeah, which is fine. It's just one of those like mm-hmm. questions I really want an answer to that was not readily available on Wikipedia. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Hey man, we 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 have at least two other listeners. Maybe one of them is Philippe. Maybe he's relaxed. <laughs> it could be against all odds. <laughs> yeah. And before this, like they were flying to Australia. Yeah. And and planning this thing out in Australia, and they were getting arrested, and I don't, I just don't understand what it was like to be them. Like, what their lifestyle was. I'm really interested in what that was. It was, uh, doing what you want. That was their lifestyle. Yeah. Well, um, I've kind of gone through a lot of my notes. Um, were there... I had a few. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I had a, it, and they're they're kind of along the same lines as that question mm-hmm. of what what is this guy's day job? Um, one thing that kind of surprised me was so he goes up the towers. Mm-hmm. He does this amazing forty-five minute acrobatic performance. Um, and by the way, the scariest part of the whole movie for me is the photo of him looking down. Yeah. Like, just seeing the photo of him looking down almost gave me vertigo. <laughs> oh, God. Like. Which is terrifying. It's like the, the best way to forget what your balance is and then die. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. So he does this performance and gets arrested, gets taken to trial, talks to the judge, the judge lets him off, he comes out of the courthouse, and in his telling, there's just some girl there that is, like, so ecstatic with him and what he's done, and glad that he's... And this is a random person he's never met before. Yes. Greets him outside of the courthouse, uh, and gives him a kiss... And they go back to her place, and he instantly cheats on his girlfriend. Yes. Uh. I just... This was a moment in watching this where I thought either I just do not understand his cultural background (laughs) whatsoever, or this guy is a huge scumbag. Yes. And the way that he was describing it made me feel like I just didn't understand him culturally. Because he was saying, you know, like it was it was just like the pleasures of the flesh and this was such a like a, a capstone to, to this achievement. Like yeah. it wasn't that he was just sleeping with some random woman, it was like this I don't know, this this like reward or karmic sense of justice for what he had done to like have people just recognize him and want to give themselves to him like this. Um, it didn't seem like malicious at all towards his girlfriend of the time, but at the same time, it was like, where's your, where's your sensibility? Yeah. This, I, I, I don't, I'm not an authority on, um, the French culture, but this felt like so French, like, oh, I just forgot where I was. It didn't, and then we were both uh, rolling around in the hay, and uh, um, this is where I felt really bad for his girlfriend, and that like, yeah, she was. It kind of hits you that like, now we're at the end of the story, and we've learned that they're not together anymore, and she's been telling the story to us this whole time with like, I would imagine all kinds of emotions going through, like. We worked to mm-hmm. we were working together on this. I helped him through it, but then then she rationalizes what he does by just saying that like he had started a new life. And right. that's okay with me. I agree, it felt very foreign, um and hard for me to understand. Yeah. So that was something that surprised me. Um Another thing that surprised me, and I don't know, maybe surprise is the right word, but that at least was a coin toss for me, was the fact that they didn't mention 
that the towers were gone mm. whatsoever. Yeah, interesting. Um, I thought that was kind of curious. I hadn't even thought about that until now. Yeah. Huh. So, does that does that speak to the fact that everybody knows about September 11th? Like, is, is that why, maybe? Well, you think the actors might have not known? No, I mean, just, like, the people watching would or... know that, like... Oh. They, they've been destroyed or something. Oh. I wasn't so much uh, interested in them saying that they got destroyed as part of the movie. Yeah. What I was really interested in and was curious about would be their reactions to knowing that this type of thing could never be done again. Mm. I see. Yeah. That that would have gone really well with this actually. To like speak to its its singularity. Mhm. I guess that the tallest twin towers in the world are the Petronas towers in Manila, I think. Um which is the only conceivable place that they could do that again. But I can't remember if they were taller than the World Trade Center towers. They're not. They're not, I don't think. And they put in World Trade Center 1, but not a companion that's of the same height. Right. Just to make sure he couldn't come back and do it again. <laughs> Maybe. Man, I don't know. I would not trust this geriatric to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and there there are people who go on like the top of the the Burj Dubai or whatever, and like go like woo, we're like hanging out or whatever. But it's not the same, man. It's like right. Sure, you can fall and die just as much, but there's no like there's no. This is gonna sound really French and really dumb, but there's there's no art to it. There's like it's. There's no passion. <laughs> that is a really curious omission. I agree. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, I, I wonder how they feel about the fact that the singularity of the event is cemented, but also the fact that the towers are gone. Like, is that in any way... Um, diminish the accomplishment for him Mm. does it make it feel more alien the fact that he can never go back and see these towers again and like be at the top of them and and physically be able to reminisce like if you're a mountain climber it's very rare for you to climb a mountain and then it explodes (laughs) and you can never go back yeah unless you climb like mount st helens (laughs) yeah that's a rare one right there so you can at least like you know go back and kind of commune a little bit with the place that you did this insane feat but for him that's completely gone now and i wonder how that feels i mean this this story should have been ripe for like some photojournalist 30 years later to take like one of those cool like zoom shots of philippe from the top of the tower from the other tower and like have like Mm-hmm. all the surroundings be like all blurry and, shit, and he's just like looking out into the distance like contemplating like his accomplishments 
Like I've already created this this photo that can never exist in my head is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> my only I guess critique of the film is that I wanted more. Like I wanted to know more about mm-hmm. his feelings for it in the intervening time from when the towers collapsed to today. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure there's probably people who have asked him this type of thing in articles or videos or something somewhere else going back to the whole like infidelity portion i feel like whatever life he might have had outside or like after this i feel like would have made me feel even more sad about like the relationships that basically terminated after that like Mm -hmm. so could have been a different angle i would have felt maybe more sad (laughs) sadness yeah it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Do you at least uh, on an emotional level understand what he's saying whenever he talks about how after something that momentous, these bonds are kind of not severed, but completed? <sighs> Is that something that resonates with you at all? Or do you think that if you were in a similar position and you achieve something monumental in your mm-hmm. life with the help of other people that you would still stick with those people. I would afterwards. have taken credit for all of it and just said, uh, be gone to all of y'all, you know, that's my thing. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> no. So you weren't <laughs> like that. No. Um, <laughs> I, I think that that's an interesting difference between me as a college student and me now is that me as a college student Mm. couldn't have imagined any kind of like waning of my friendships even even as i was in the midst of some of them like fading to to time um like some like Mm -hmm. some of the friends who who didn't make it from high school to college like even in that moment I didn't realize right. that, that was happening. But now looking back mm. like I understand a little bit with those large life um uh transitions they feel like chapters closing and they feel mm. like okay just these relationships, they're memories now, mm-hmm. but not in the same way necessarily. They, okay. they weren't intentional accomplishments. Okay. Like I so far haven't experienced like all of my friends that I have were working towards releasing a video game, for example. Yep. And we did it. Comes out on Steam. Everybody loves it. I cheat on my wife with some random admirer and then I cut ties. <laughs> so that kind of thing, I don't think that I've experienced yet, but I understand a little bit of the sentiment for those reasons that I was saying before that like, yeah, I've, I've had friends go away and I've recognized now that I'm a couple years after college that that was happening, but mm. not in the same way I feel like Mm. I don't know did did, 
I feel like I've known you for a long time and I can't think of a time where like you've had some like like break like that that has just caused relationships that you've had to just disperse but has it have you have you known this feeling or experienced um this? not in a positive way i've definitely had a mm. lot of negative milestone moments that have resulted in just complete severance of a relationship not even like mm. a like an intimate relationship just like friendships um yeah. But I do think, like, and I don't know that that makes me more predisposed to understand, uh, but I definitely, I think, identify with some of what he's saying where, like, an accomplishment like that is so grand and transformative that you're not the same person anymore, and so Mm -hmm. you kind of have to go on, you have to... And that's why I said it, like, the, the friendships at that point weren't severed, but in my eyes... In some strange way, they're kind of like completed. Because um, yeah. I don't, uh, it, I don't know the right way to say it, but it's everything after that point feels like you're just going to be, uh, trying to relive that moment of singular purpose, and you won't ever be able to. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't necessarily view um, the the ending as positive. So mm-hmm. I think that, at least in my eyes, it might have been more similar to your experiences than than you think it is, um, because. I didn't view the end, the closing of those relationships as mutual. I think mm, that okay. uh, Jean-Francois sticks out yeah. the most to me. Sure. Toward, towards the end of the movie where like after, after he's made it and, and they moved on and everything, I could see him getting extremely emotional. That's I true. I think he started crying at one point. That's true. Um, and so... Even if you feel as though the, I, I just feel like they were they were not completely positive. Even though we we had Philippe's perspective, like hunky dory, right. I'm just gonna bang everybody. Kind of <laughs> 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 yeah, it sounds kind of similar to what you were describing. Right, like it wasn't quite like good closures. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it definitely depends on your perspective. What I'm saying is that I am I am a Jean-Francois. My oh. skin is immaculate. And your hair is salt and pepper now. Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I don't think I have anything else to say of substance about Man on Wire. It was a really good movie. Yeah. I can that see was... why it's got a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I had completely forgotten about that stat, but then it was mm-hmm. plastered all over the Wikipedia page afterwards, and I was like, "Oh yeah, they're kind of proud of this, aren't they?" A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
You want to take it down a, a notch or two here and give it a Daniel score? Yeah, go for it. No more, no more rotten tomatoes. Give me the, give me the real. Shit. Six out of seven. <gasps> really? Yeah. That's exciting. It's one of the highest ones you've given. It's true. Not perfect, but it's pretty good. I'm going to give it a two out of seven. No. Um. <laughs> Curveball of the <clears throat> century. I think it is a, it was a, a very good movie, an excellent experience um, for all the reasons that we talked about before. The fascination with um, the, the feelings of terror that it gives me. It's got to be at least a six out of seven for me as well. Um. I think that there were a couple things with the movie that did make it not perfect. Mm-hmm. Chief among those being the horrible graphics they had for the airplanes during the map sequences where they were showing him like oh, flying yeah. from place to place. Yeah, that's true. That those, was a little. Those alone makes it an imperfect movie. That's fair. That's Listeners, very fair, actually. Watch the movie and you'll know what I mean. Unforgivable unforgivable take down all of the awards this man has earned (laughs) these false cgi airplanes have ruined him (laughs) no very good movie Um, i'm glad it's over i'm glad that i can put it down for a bit and then revisit my my feelings in another five years and then go whoa i'm still scared of heights (laughs) <laughs> you you chose this you brought this on yourself yeah i know but isn't that part of the message is that sometimes the most human thing is to put yourself out of your comfort zone because we're explorers riley we're explorers why are you emphasizing explorers do you want me to are we, are we moving on uh, um, no, I just, I, I'm stupid. That's so we're I moving on. Sure. <laughs> let we're going to explore put, what our next topic is. <laughs> let us put man on wire to bed. All right. Good night, man on wire. Let's see here. What that means is now I have to pick what we're going to do for the next episode of Rez. Yeah. Not if you say it like that. Well, if you're going to put your so, life in the hands of the die, you got to you got to just let it let it roll, man. Got to Okay. Got to put your fate in in God's hands. All right. Well, when you put it that way. We've uh, just finished Man on Wire, which is a movie, so from the remaining categories of books, games, or television, I will assign books to be a one or a two on the die, uh, television to be a three or a four, and games to be a five or a six. Yep. You can see here that I have a die. Audience, I can confirm that he has a die. It is real. And I'm going to roll it. 
Well, let's see what we get. A two. It's a book? It's a book. It's a book, baby. I don't think yeah, I picked baby. a book yet. Oh, uh, man. You have not picked a book yet. I haven't. And there's so many good ones on my list because of this. Ironically, you have actually been a fairly cultured book reader. And so we've had two of my, like, <laughs> frantic attempts to do something reasonable. And now this has got to be a good one to cap wow. it all off. You, you really built me up here. There's no way I can choose something ridiculous like Goodnight Moon. Hey, I can analyze the shit out of Goodnight Moon. <laughs> That's all right, because the book I'm choosing is Black Panther. No, it's, Dude, it's not. It's not. It's not uh, Blade Runner either? Is there a Blade Runner? No, it's not. Do androids dream of electric sheep? The book that I would like us to do uh, is one that I saw recently. And the moment I saw it, it was like, this is something I have to do on the show. I'm so excited about this for many reasons. Uh, and I hope that it's interesting to you. We'll see. But it is the graphic novel book, Fight Club 2. What? That exists? It's new. It's just recently come out. It is the sequel to the story Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. And it is a graphic novel that that looks like it's very well done. So I am super thrilled about this because we've never done a graphic novel. And because I've no, always wondered, always wondered what happened after Fight Club. Dude, so this is this is by the same guy who did the original? Was the original a graphic yes. novel before the movie? No. Oh. The original what? was just a just a novel. Oh, it was a novel. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And then they did the movie and now they've got a graphic novel for Sweet. the sequel. Well, consider this p -p purchased Sweet. Prudent choice there, matey. Arg. I'm a pirate. All of a sudden. <laughs> okay. Daniel's falling apart. I think we need to end the show. <laughs> I mean, like, it literally just became tomorrow, today. <laughs> <Here>. <laughs> like, <All> right now. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's our cue. He's turning into a pumpkin. Oh. Six Cinderella reference, bro. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really enjoyed having you all. Don't forget to comment on the Reddit and share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. See you next time. <laughs>